I love, absolutely love the Christmas season. Uh, I love that our church year-round celebrates Jesus, that we're about Jesus and how we talk and how we live, but that we also make a special effort uh, in this particular season to be about Jesus. I love that about our church family. Jesus is the single most important person to ever walk this earth. And I realize that's a, that's a big claim. But what that means is that every single person ever to live has to answer this question of who do they think Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Who is he? Everyone has to answer this question. And there's not really a more important question for us to consider this Christmas season. So what is your response to that question? Who is Jesus? What is your response to to the good news of Jesus? To to the good news that Jesus came as a baby, lived a perfect life we could never live, died on the cross for our sins, providing a way for hope for us to be forgiven and made right with God if we would trust him. What is your response to the good news of Jesus? The good news of Jesus brings about different kinds of responses in our day. Uh, And honestly, for all of history, it's brought different responses. But as we look at Luke chapter 1, I think what we see is is a little bit of of an example for what the right response to the good news of Jesus really is. As we look at our text for today, I want you to see that um, uh, there is a right response to the good news of Jesus. So look at it with me. Luke chapter one. I'm gonna start in verse 38, which is where Brad ended last week, and then I'm gonna read through 56. Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel of the Lord departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And Jesus, or and blessed is he, gosh, I can't read today. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the word. And then Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Would you pray with me? 
God, I ask for your help today that these words would not just simply be familiar words for us. Words that we read during Advent season or as we lead up to Christmas. But God, would these truly be, as they are, your word to us. Your, your word that brings power and might and, and truth into our lives. Would you help us today to, to, to leave this room changed by your word? More in love with you, Jesus, and more in love with uh, the word. Help us today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all the things that you've done. Most importantly, for what you've done on the cross, we are thankful. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So you guys know the context of this passage, uh, I'm sure, fairly well. Gabriel had just visited Mary and had said some things that were they're pretty crazy. In, in many ways, it rocked her world. Let me just kind of sum up a few things that we know about the context right now. Mary is told she's going to have a baby. Keep in mind, Mary is most likely somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15. She's going to have a baby. She's never slept with any man. She's betrothed or engaged. It's not quite the same thing. It was a little bit different. But they were not married yet, but intended to be married to Joseph. Oh, and by the way, the baby that she is going to bear and give birth to, he's supposed to be named Jesus. He's God the Son, and he will be a king of a never-ending kingdom. Once again, I know we've heard these words before, but can you just for a moment, just try to put yourself in her shoes? Just try. A young lady between the ages of 13 and 15 told she's going to have a baby. She's never slept with a man. And he's going to be the son of God. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. If you were in her place, what would you be thinking? Like, what are the, the thoughts that'd be swirling around in your mind? I think if we'll, if we'll consider this fully, and as we look at Luke chapter 1, I think what we will see is a young woman who trusted God with her life. And if we'll, we'll look at Luke chapter 1 and be impacted by, by, by Luke chapter 1, what we'll realize is that the good news of Jesus brings about a response in everyone. And the right response is one of belief and of worship and of great hope. That is what the good news of Jesus brings about in people's lives. So that's what I want to do today is as we walk through this, I want you to see that we can't just walk out of here uh, without any, any change in our heart or any um, or without God having done anything, the good news of Jesus brings about a response in our lives. So my question for you today is what is your response going to be? Will you respond with belief, with, with worship, and with great hope? Because that is what we see here in this text. So Mary's first response, her first response to the good news of Jesus is belief. She believed. 
She didn't ask for a sign. She didn't just sit and wonder. She believed Mary, remember a teenage girl, joyfully submits her life to God and to his word. We see this first starting in verse uh, 38 where it says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord, of the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If we were to put that in today's language, that's Mary saying, I'm in. I'm yours, Jesus. Do with me what you want. I serve you. That's what she's saying right here. This is a humble, obedient trust in God. And and please remember, she had every reason to be afraid. Her life was about to change radically. She had many reasons to have fear. She had many reasons to maybe even ask God to, God, would you please just use somebody else? But she didn't. She believed. She had no guarantee that others would think well of her moving forward. She had no guarantee that the shame that comes along with with a pregnancy before marriage, she had no guarantee that God was just going to take care of that. But she believed. There was a period of time, I'm betting, I think we can understand from, from both Luke and from Matthew, there was a time when I'm guessing she thought she might lose Joseph. That he might walk away from their betrothal. I've always wondered, why did Gabriel, the angel, not just say something to the effect of, Mary, don't worry, we're going to talk to Joseph, it'll be okay. Like, we don't see that in this text here. We don't see her, you know, Gabriel saying, don't worry, Mary, I'm going to take care of it. My team's on it. We've got it. No, what we see in Matthew chapter 1 is Joseph is considering breaking off the betrothal. And that only happens if he knows she's pregnant and he thinks she's slept with somebody else. So there was this awkward, hard period of time where we had no idea how Joseph would respond and Mary had to, had to wait and trust God. But she did. But she did. And if we look at Matthew chapter 1, we're great. I'm sure she was grateful that, that they visited uh, Joseph and, and explained what was going to happen. But right here, there was no guarantee of that. No promise that there would be no shame. No promise that it, wouldn't be, that it would be easy. Now after the angel visited Mary, uh, she leaves town to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is pregnant as God is working in Elizabeth and in Zechariah to bring about this man we know as John the Baptist, who would herald the coming of Jesus. Uh, so she goes to visit. Now, God's word doesn't tell us why. It doesn't say that she was just looking for some friendship or she wanted to go see if it was true that Elizabeth was also pregnant. It doesn't really say. But what it does say is when Mary arrives, something extraordinary happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth and she says some amazing things. And I can't unpack them all uh, right now, but I want to draw your attention to verse 45 and, and what we see there. It's the last sentence of what Elizabeth says. She says, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and blessed is she who believed 
that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. The good news of Jesus exploded into Mary's life and she believed. She trusted God and his word. It carried her through hardship and unknown. It carried her through a season that had to have been tough. Has the good news of Jesus, as it comes into your life, has it brought about belief? I mean, has it brought about a trusting in God that we see right here? We have the benefit of sitting on this side of history. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus at that point in time hadn't come as far as coming the flesh. She was just being promised that she was going to have a baby. And Mary, on that promise, is trusting God. Now, we get to sit on this side of history having accounts and records of, uh, of Jesus' life, of his death, and his resurrection. But Mary was trusting God completely off of the Old Testament. The God who keeps his promises. And she believed. How much more should we, when we know the whole story, we have seen what has happened, when there are, there are historical accounts of Jesus, how much more should we be moved to belief and trust? Because he is. And he comes exactly as it was told. Has the good news of Jesus, the, the gospel, brought about genuine belief in your life, a, a confident trust in who God is. J.C. Ryle asked it this way, and this is in your bulletin. Do we know anything of this precious faith? This, after all, is the great question that concerns us. Do we know anything of the faith of God's elect, the faith which is of the operation of God? Let us never rest till we know it by experience. Once knowing it, let us never cease to pray that our faith may grow exceedingly. Better a thousand times be rich in faith than rich in gold. Gold will be worthless in the unseen world to which we are traveling. Faith will be owned in that world before God the Father and the holy angels. When the great white throne is set and the books are opened, when the dead are called from their graves and receiving their final sentence, the value of faith will be at length fully known. Men will learn then, if they never learned before, how true are the words, blessed are they that believed. Have you believed in the good news of Jesus? Mary had a humble, childlike faith and trust in the God who saves. Have we responded in the same way? What I love about this text is she believes, but her belief doesn't just kind of sit. It doesn't just stop. But her humble faith moves to God-glorifying worship. The good news of Jesus then doesn't just call us to belief, but it demands worship in all of our life. Mary's belief explodes into this song, into this worship that we see here in our text. She praises God for who he is and for what he's done. Yet what I love about this, this song is something that is easy to overlook. 
This wasn't just simply a song that she made up, but it is a song loaded with scripture, dripping with scripture, not because it is scripture, but because it references so much of the Old Testament. If we aren't careful, we'll read right through it. And we can never see all of the Old Testament concepts and phrases that are built into her song. Some scholars would claim as many as 12 different Old Testament passages uh, are reflected here in her song. Sometime this week, I can't do this this morning, but sometime this week, uh, I would encourage you to pull out two Bibles, maybe the same translation. And on one, look up uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 10. That's Hannah's prayer. And then... And then Look up Luke chapter 1 and look, look at Mary's song. Put them side by side. And you're going to find three or four uh, phrasings that, that look like they might be coming from the same place. M- Mary understood God's word. She was a young Jew who'd grown up hearing the Old Testament and that greatly influenced her confidence and trust in God. I love how John Piper described this in, in, uh, uh, in one of his, his sermons. Uh, it was, Mary is so steeped in scripture that when she breaks out into praise, the words that come naturally to her lips are the words of scripture. Being a young woman, she probably loved the stories of the Old Testament women of faith, like Sarah and Deborah, Hannah and Ruth and Abigail. What an admonition to us all, both women and men, young and old, for Mary was probably not over 15, to steep our minds and hearts in the scriptures day and night so that the words and thoughts of scripture fill our mouths as naturally as they did Mary's. Some of you are are in here today and you have trusted in Jesus. That that belief has come, but you're, you're lacking confidence in God's word. You're lacking the same kind of confidence that Mary has as she cries out to the Lord. Can I ask you, what is shaping your thoughts on a regular basis? Like what is actually shaping and changing the way that you think and the way that you live? Five minutes in God's word and two hours on Netflix will not provide for you the kind of understanding and trust in God that Mary has. It will not lead to a life of worship, a a scripture-filled, heartfelt worship because of the character of God. Friends, I would just encourage you, I would beg you, make time for the things that change your life. Sometimes that has to happen by sacrificing the things that entertain you. Make time for God's word, that it might shape how you think, that it might shape how you sing, that it might shape how you talk, that it might shape how you live. Mary understood God's word, and it was clear in how she worshiped. We could, we could break Mary's song down into multiple kind of different ways, but I think there are two key themes that we see in her song. It is that of thanksgiving and of praise. Of thanking God for who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do, and praising God for his consistent character. Thanksgiving and praise. And the first one I think we see is that of thanksgiving. I want to read 48 and 49 again together. 
where it says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. In the ESV that I'm reading out of right now, uh, that verse 48 says, He has looked. Uh, but in different translations, it's said differently. In the NASB, it's has regarded or had regard. Uh, HCSB is looked with favor. And the NIV, which I really appreciate, is uh, he, was, he has been mindful of me. He has considered me. Mary is just, just straight up overwhelmed with thankfulness that God would see her, that he would be mindful of her, and that he would choose to use her to accomplish his plans. This gratitude flows out from her heart. He's, she's just grateful that he would choose to use somebody of no specific um, power or, or might, of no financial status, but that through her, the world will be blessed as she bears Jesus. This is not a worship Mary. This is a worship God as he works through humble and lowly people like you and like me. I love that as we read throughout scriptures, we will see a God who rules and reigns over all of history. He, he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. That is the God that we serve, but we also serve a God who is mindful of us, who knows us, who sees us. Alistair Begg said it like this, this is what God is like. He is mindful. He is personally involved with humanity he has promised to make blessing, fulfillment, and security available to all peoples on the earth. The greatness of God is not revealed in his isolation from us. The greatness of God is revealed in his intimacy with us. He was mindful of both Mary and then of us. Mary recognized that she had a unique place in history. Not because she was amazing, but because God chose to work in her. That's why she can go on in verse 49 to say, he has done great things for me. She's, she's thinking about her own, her own faith in God because she says earlier, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She knows she needs God. She knows she needs him to save her. And in chapter one of Matthew, we're not gonna turn there, but we will see that Jesus is that great one who will save his people from their sins. She understands that God has been mindful of her and is working through her to accomplish something magnificent. Mary's gratitude is clear. You can't miss it. It flows from how she sings and what she's talking about. I have often said, I say it to my students, I've said it here, that thankfulness must be one of the most defining characteristics of the life of a believer. It should distinguish us from the world. Unending, incomparable, unshakable gratitude should define the life of a believer. That doesn't mean things won't be hard. That doesn't mean there, there won't be great times of sorrow. But in those moments, there should also be great moments of gratitude that, that, that uphold us, 
that we lean into all the things God has done, all the things he's promised, all the things he's going to do, and that should bring about in us a great thankfulness, a great gratitude. The good news of Jesus compels us to belief. The good news of Jesus demands worship, and that is clearly seen in thanksgiving. But she's not just giving thanks for how God is working in her. She's also praising God for his greatness, for his power, for his might. That's why she would start this song with, my soul magnifies the Lord. To magnify means to to praise or, or to make much of someone's character who is great. To magnify the Lord is to praise him for his greatness, for his power, for his might, for his character. That's why she, excuse me, that's why she starts with my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary is saying, God, you are great. You are amazing. You are worthy of praise. The good news of Jesus has this effect on people that believe. When the gospel is talked about in the context of people who have put their trust in Jesus, it has to bring worship. It must bring about a heart that is thankful and that praises God for his character and what he's done. Worship is not just singing, although that is what what this is, a song. Worship is all of our life doing everything we are uh, and everything we Doing everything we do and, and in everything we are is giving praise to God. That's worship. It's magnifying the Lord. But it is also through singing. It's why we sing often and regularly here. It's why we sing songs that display who God is more than just who we are. We, we want to magnify the Lord. There's a few things she praises God for here in this text, so let's look at them together. First is his mercy. In verse 47, this is a personal mercy. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, she praises God both both personally because she sees God as her Savior, but then also uh, for that mercy that is extend towards others for any who would trust in God and fear him. Mary knew she was a sinner and in need of God who could save. But she also knew this great truth that God is a God of mercy extended. That mercy made available to all who would trust in him. For Mary, mercy is both personal and available to others. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That is a great reminder for us. It's not just mercy for today. It's not just mercy for that one day. From generation to generation for all that fear him. But she also moves on to praise him for his strength and his might. Look at verse 51 and following with me. He has shown strength with his arm. Scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. These verses are rich with, with language from the Psalms. 
of how, uh, how, how God works, how God, God has always worked in history, and how he's going to work in Jesus as he brings in the kingdom of God. This upside-down kingdom where humility is valued, not arrogance. Where trusting in God is valued, not seeking power and control. Where using the money that we have for the glory of God is valued rather than building a, a rich kingdom for myself so I don't have to trust God at all. This is that upside down kingdom that God rules over all these things, that he, that he rules over thrones. No matter, no matter what throne you're thinking of, God rules over it. Whether it's the presidency or, or, or a prime minister or a king or even the throne in your own little home, God rules and reigns over it. Mary understood this and is communicating to us today. God's values are different. And that he has the power to accomplish everything he intends to do. So this should actually cause us to ask some questions to ourselves. Do we value the things that God values? Do we trust his power is going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish? Do we place more value on humility or pride? Do we live for power or control rather than confident trust in God? Do we love money rather than use it for the kingdom of God? Mary understands and knows God. This is how he's worked throughout history. He raises up rulers and he puts them down. He exalts the humble and opposes the proud. He provides for the, for the lowly and reminds us that riches never satisfy. That is the God that we serve. And she understood that. Because she is confident in who God is and in how he is acting, this leads her to praise God not just simply for his character, but then specifically because he is a promise-keeping God. He's a God that keeps his promises. Look at 54 and 55 with me. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is Mary a young Jew who has grown up hearing the Old Testament, understanding the promises that God has unfolded to his people throughout the Old Testament. This is her saying, Jesus coming is a reminder to all that God keeps his promises. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She is looking backwards and saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of those. But as he comes, he is showing he is a promise-keeping God. This was and is today a great reason to worship. Not one promise that God has made uh, will ever go unfulfilled. There's not one thing that he has said in Scripture, that he has promised in his word. There's not one thing that will not come to pass. Now, I have to recognize that, that we often feel like God has not kept his promises. 
But can I just be honest with you? Most often, when I, when I hear people talk like God is not a, a promise-keeping God, it is most often tied to us trying to hold him accountable for promises he did not make. He never promised me that my life would be easy. He never promised me that every time I share the gospel with somebody I love, they'll just fall on their knees and repent. There's a lot of things we try to hold God accountable for that he never promised us. But if you look at his word and understand his promises in the context of history, you will see that God always keeps his promises. And that Jesus is his greatest promise. That he would send us a son to save his people from their sins. Do you believe this? Does the hope of Jesus, does the good news of Jesus provide you with, with the, that kind of uh, worshipful spirit that, that, that can't stop talking about him, that can't stop thinking about him because you know how great he is? Is your worship informed by God's word because you trust him and you've, you've tasted and seen his character and that he is good and he keeps his promises? Do you have confidence that he will do that? We should be able to say with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord, for he is worthy of that praise. Now what I love about, about this great hope we have in Jesus, it's not just a hope for today, it's a hope for eternity. It's a backwards-looking hope and a forwards-looking hope all at the same time. You can see because Jesus is a continuation of God's plan of salvation. The good news of Jesus today offers you and I hope. Hope. Jesus is not God's great audible or, or God's great change of plan to try to figure out what to do with this mess that we've made. Jesus was always God's plan. God had always planned to send his son to die on the cross that we might be redeemed. That was always his plan. In fact, we can look back to Genesis 3.15, right after the fall, and recognize that God had promised a son. That God had promised uh, a savior. Genesis 3.15 uh, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, this is him speaking, a curse over Satan, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. If we understand this text in its context, that is the first time that God is promising to us a solution to our biggest problem. He's saying, I will send someone, the seed of a woman, who will conquer sin and death and Satan forever. So as Mary is saying things like, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. There's a forward-looking hope in Jesus. It's not just the past. Jesus is the fulfillment of the greatest promise. 
And I love how R.C. Sproul explained this moment. He says, uh, as Mary is rejoicing, she celebrates the God who remembers his covenant. Luke has an eye on history. He sees that the birth of Jesus does not happen in a vacuum, but in the fullness of time. When Jesus is born, he is born after many promises from God. Covenants have been made between God and man. The promise that had been made to, Abraham, sorry, to Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now coming into fullness in space and time. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be mercy, merciful. When Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she understood the reality that Jesus the Messiah was coming. That all that they'd been waiting for was coming in the person of Jesus. That's why she sings. That's why she worships. That's why she believes. Because she understands and knows the God of history. The good news of Jesus is not just meant to provide hope to Mary, a young Jewish girl who lived 2,000 years ago. But for you and I, today, it provides hope. Just a few verses later in, in Luke chapter 1, uh, Elizabeth gives birth to John, who would then be called John the Baptist. When he is born, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to prophesy. And I just want to show you a couple of the things that it says about Jesus and what Jesus will do. Because I think it reminds us he didn't just come as a baby. He didn't just come as this cute little baby in, uh, you know, to, to Mary. But he came with a purpose. In verses 76 and se through 78 of Luke chapter 1, here's what we read. And you, child, that's in reference to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. See, John was, was going to come and, and tell people that Jesus is coming. And his message was Jesus' message that he is coming to offer salvation and mercy and grace and forgiveness to those who would believe. So who do you think that Jesus is? Is he just a good teacher that lived 2,000 years ago? Is he just a, a moral man that we should model our life after because he did great things? No. In fact, scriptures would, would give us an emphatic no to each of those answers. From Genesis 3.15 moving forward, all of mankind has been waiting for a savior. A man who would be born of a virgin and would save his people from their sin through his life, death, and resurrection. The message of Jesus can and should bring about this same response in our life. It should bring us to belief, to a confident trust. It, should, it will demand worship of you, and that should be normal, Christian. That should be normal in your life to praise God through thanksgiving and through talking about his great character. 
but it also offers you hope. And it's that hope you offer to others because God is a God who saves through his son. Christmas season can be a really hard season for many different reasons. Hurt and pain and loss seems magnified in this season. I don't want to diminish anything that is going on in your life right now, but can I ask you, friend, will you allow the message of Jesus to be the blessing and hope and cause for rejoicing in your life this year? Will you turn your heart, your mind, your lips to magnify the Lord, to praise him for he is great? He has done great things for us. R.C. Sproul kind of finishes this off just so well when he says, if you never experienced another blessing from God or sensed his presence again, as long as you lived, you would have no justification to do anything but live each day in praise. Now thankfully that's That's not where we sit. We see God working. We experience God all the time. But if that never happened, we would do nothing. We could do nothing but praise. You could do nothing but live in gratitude to God for what he has already done in your life. He keeps saying, we easily forget. But we are fortunate that God does not forget, right? When he makes a promise, he keeps a promise. Mary understood this as she saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he who is mighty has done a great thing for me. Friends, I want to I stand and sing together. Because I want to magnify the Lord together. If the good news of Jesus uh, compels belief, demands worship and gives great hope. And if we believe it, then there's no other right response than to praise him and sing to him together. So let's sing, my soul magnifies the Lord.